should be ashamed. Well, I'm not. The fact that you can even say that? I'm not ashamed, Travis. I'm glad I'm alive. Just like you are. And I don't think that any of us who are still here should feel ashamed of that. Ever. Let your brother save you, Travis. After everything he went through out here. Don't you owe him at least that? Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, Sona and I will be discussing the season finale, season two finale of Yellow Jackets, an episode called Storytelling. Storytelling. And I have many things, I have many opinions on this episode <laughs> of the show, whether I think it has jumped the shark. An episode that is mostly good, by the way, but makes some decisions that really make me worry about the health of this show. Yeah, I have mixed feelings. I agree. <laughs> yes. And maybe we'll keep those negative commentary towards the end, because most of what I'm going to say, I think my final opinions will be mostly negative, but we can walk through the plot. There's some highlights along the way, so we can kind of walk through that pretty quickly, I think, and then get to uh, <laughs> many, many things I want to discuss here about the health of the show and decisions made here. Before that, I uh, have a couple of announcements. One is that I was so confident, Sona, I found our next show. It's going to be The Idol. <laughs> <laughs> I even committed to it. Yes. Trailer unseen after the one month grace period to watch a two minute clip expired. And I was really waiting to hear from Cannes that they premiered the first two episodes of the show at the Cannes Film Festival, really waiting to hear the critical reaction before committing, but it all went long. Right after we recorded our succession recap <laughs> was when the reviews came in from Cannes and they were absolutely terrible, like truly horrible. <laughs> so if you are planning to watch that show, I am actually going to watch it and I will probably have at least one episode committed to it because it has a fascinating and troubled backstory of its creation. And maybe I'll include you in that, Sona, because you might be curious about the backstory to this. And second mm -hmm. of all, I'll probably spend some of that time talking about The weekend, uh, the performer himself, an artist that I've been very committed to for the fact that he has an interesting backstory. When he was still a teenager, he started to anonymously put out music on YouTube and his tracks were getting tens of millions of views. And I love that first album of his, which finally came out uh, about a year after those initial YouTube videos came out. So I've been following his career from the very beginning and watching him ascend to incredible heights. So I do want to spend some time talking about him and some of that early music and how it's so interesting that he created this persona, The Weeknd, which he's just abandoned recently, by the way. Mm -hmm. It's very theatrical what he's done in intentionally creating a persona and then writing his songs within the context of this drug addicted, sex addicted character, and maybe an extension of it here in this series as well. So all of that makes me very vested in this show just to see he's written this actual story and which these scripts are based upon. So I am curious to see his own evolution of this character, but maybe it says something that he's also abandoning it right now. So maybe mm -hmm. this show itself is the reason that he's going to bury this persona. I'll be giving you my opinions of it along the way, but it will probably not be the focus of the podcast, the primary focus of the podcast for the next month or so. But there are shows that I am interested in that I think Sona will be more engaged with. One that I'm very curious about, I think it's going to be a lot of fun on Peacock with Kaylee Cuoco and Chris Messina. I th find in general that Sona and I enjoy talking about shows where people are dealing with their marriage. Here's a show about <laughs> <laughs> here, here's a show about a marriage. 
that gets re-enlivened by murder, murder. investigation. And uh, this couple actually <laughs> starts a podcast investigating this potential serial killer who's killing single women. It's called Based on a True Story, and it's coming on Peacock in about a week, week and a half. And it is all available at once, so we won't be covering it week nice. to week, but we'll definitely maybe sample two or three episodes at a time. So that's something we'll be looking at to cover here, along with other things. Silo, I'll be covering that popular Apple TV show by myself. And there's a lot of stuff coming out. Most of it is not really this kind of prestige TV sounding week to week release like we normally cover here. It's the summer. There'll be movies. Maybe we'll watch some old films that um, we want to rewatch. And uh, so stay tuned. I'll be a little more solid on our schedule once uh, these things pop up on the release radar. Oh, one more thing I wanted to bring up was just a couple of days ago, sadly, we heard that Tina Turner had passed away. Yeah. So what did I do that very night, Sona? I watched a documentary that I've been thinking about watching. I never did. It's available on HBO or Max, as it's called now. It's available on Max. It's called Tina, exclamation point, I think. There's an exclamation point at the end of that. And uh, a really interesting documentary about her. If I have a criticism of that Private Dancer album, which I do like many of the songs on there, it's the production. It has a very 80s style production. And most of the musical excerpts here in the documentary is her performing live. And these songs, even now, even when she was older, still touring, probably like in her late 50s, where that are captured here in the documentary, these songs are electric when she's performing them on stage. And she just speaks to the fact that she was always this incredible live act. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful stuff. You know, we hear all the usual beats, her long career. She put out her first singles back in the 19, late 50s. And of course, this the, her renaissance in the early 80s when Private Dancer came out. And then her huge career after that really became a superstar for the first time in her life at about the age of 40. It's a pretty incredible life story of hers. It covers all of it. It covers her troubled relationship, of course, with her ex-husband as well. She talks about how her career in a way got kicked off when she gave this star magazine interview about the abuse she suffered through via mm-hmm. her husband and how she had been ashamed of this for so long, didn't want to address it because it it's obviously things she didn't want to deal with. And then of course it speaks to the fact that then she could not escape this uh, story. She literally says in the interview in 1980, I want to get it all out there and then I don't have to talk about it again. And then you see her doing the press junket for the movie, What's Love Got to Do With It, which came out in 1993. And of course, still talking about it. And during the press conference with all the actors there on stage, she's saying, like, I thought I wasn't going to have to answer these questions anymore. But more importantly, she became a even bigger star in Europe later in her career. Like in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, she was still doing huge tours in Europe. She is more famous than ever. And she's doing like a German interview and it's like 2005 and they're still asking her about her story. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, we're going to have this mm-hmm. conversation again. Incredibly, in this documentary, they play excerpts of audio from that 1980 interview. And this stuff is so powerful. Like, she's very emotional during the conversation. You know, I've never heard the story told in her own words in that Mm -hmm, early interview mm -hmm. back in 1980. Really, really powerful stuff. And a beautiful eulogy, in a way, to her as well. So do check that out. It's called Tina. If you are familiar with her backstory, the music and all that stuff is relatively lightly covered. But if you don't know her very well, except for like maybe what's love got to do with it, you, you're going to discover a huge, um, you know, an incredible amount about her very long career. So check that out. It's very good. And RIP, Tina Turner. Absolutely. Unfortunately, they never use, you know, they use a lot of female artists here on this show. Never use the Tina Turner song, though. They do send, tend to fall into like some limited genres, the artists that they use, which Tina Turner, I think, would not be a part of. They're either referencing covers of songs from that like mid to late 90s period or artists directly from that period. 
continued great use of music in this episode as well, by the way. Yes, absolutely. What do we have here? We have um, Echo and a Bunnyman and a cover of Echo and a Bunnyman. We kick things off with Cranberries, Zombie. Yeah, I, I really liked how they used the song here. Yes, yeah. Of course, they use that Radiohead song. They love Radiohead here on this show. Mm-hmm. They, uh, oh, and they have a St. Vincent cover of a Metallica song, which I'd never heard before, which was interesting as well. Oh, I missed that. Sad But True by St. Vincent, which is a Metallica original. So we do kick things off with that Cranberry song, Zombie. The girls are marching back to the camp, grimly carrying Javi's body. Natalie actually has arrived just a moment before, and Travis is so happy to see her, but mm. she's like, no, you don't know what's coming around that corner. Yeah. Kind of surprisingly, the only protestation on his part of all this is just this one meek no here at this moment when he sees Javi's body arrive. Well, Travis is a person of few words. <laughs> well, I mean, I was surprised a little bit by this, but maybe it's the inevitability of it as well, right? I mean, they're all very, very hungry. So it might speak to that if we want to be generous about the read. Maybe I'm jumping ahead. The thing that was shocking to me here is like, can we allow a few hours for grieving? Right. I mean, I understand they're starving. And I guess the prospect of like finally being able to eat is huge. But then it also feels like, well, you've been starving for days and days. What's another six or 12 hours to let this right. guy try and attempt to process this giant thing that's happening? I don't know. I'll give it a, a generous read in the fact that there may be hours here that we're ellipsing past. We may have skipped past some of that, which I, I could contend is true. And another possible read of it is the fact that the butchering process is probably very time consuming. So if you want to do it before nightfall, when it's probably going to be very cold, and then another day goes by, yada, yada, yada. So, I mean, I think there's a way to read that. But I take your point that they might just say, hey, we know Jackie lasted a while. <laughs> no rush. Let's not rush. Yeah. I like the fact that Shauna's just designated butcher. They're just like, Shauna, get to work. <laughs> no questions asked. Seriously. I mean, this lady, I know we've talked about in the adult timeline, how little time is passing. And I guess I'm not like totally clear on how much time has passed since the stillbirth, but it just seems a little bit brutal to be like, hey, I know you're <laughs> yes. still grieving that baby, but get out exactly. there with this cleaver. <laughs> I don't think this is an oversight on the part of the show. I think it's actually saying something here. When Shauna became the butcher last season, it was the same thing where everybody's like, oh, thank God she did that. And then later on, it became like, just get to work, Shauna, just do that. You know, like, you know, even at work, right? There's a a saying I have that when you do something at work, the first time you do it, everybody says, thank you. The second time it's part of your job description. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, it's just an expectation. Interesting that she, first of all, feels out the where to cut him. It's, it's almost sensual. And I think there's something intentional in the way they show this. And more importantly, the fact that she covers her face during the yeah. butchering. Yeah. Once again, I don't know if there's some shame aspect to it or if there is some ritualistic aspect to it, but I did think these were some interesting decisions here. I assume that it was some sort of shame because this is the first time that she's actually had to do this with one of their own. That's true. Yep. Jackie was- uh, Jackie <laughs> <that> was, was... <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> some kind of strange convection oven situation. <laughs> exactly. But... <laughs> they could have tried to re- reproduce that, by the way, possibly. Yeah, they could have. All right. By the way, you're bleeding out this guy. 
you know, not to be extremely crude about this, but that blood is full of protein, people. <laughs> there's blood yeah. sausage, there's blood yeah. pudding. There's a reason mm-hmm, that blood mm-hmm. is made into recipes. So yeah. that, all that stuff bleeding out, I'm just thinking like that could feed you guys for another couple of days. I'm not saying this just to be gross. I'm saying this because a couple of extra meals will save a life. Exactly. Before you start looking to kill the next person. And then waste all that blood. Jesus, people. Come on, think a, think a little bit. Think, think. <laughs> Shona's also learned how to cut off very thin layers of meat from her experience with Jackie. So is she going to turn him into tartar, perhaps? A little Javi tartar? Yeah. <laughs> Better not to think about that. Really? All right. Van and Travis have a very interesting interaction. Van is basically saying, like, I feel no shame about this. I'm surviving. I'm not going to be ashamed of that. I'm doing what I need to do to survive. And also criticizing Travis for not embracing the fact that he's alive as well. I thought this was really interesting because a way to read this thing, right? You could obviously be much more traumatized by this and much more questioning as to what is the right or wrong thing to do. But she has a very understandable read of things. And of course, I mean, given the fact that Javi, in in a vacuum, Javi has died, in a way, if he doesn't use his brother's body to survive, it's kind of an insult to the death of his brother. I'm not sure how much we really know van as an independent person like i feel like all we've seen from her is more her reactions and her relationships with others you know mostly thaisa going off the deep end and van you know in my mind not being nearly as alarmed about it as she should be but you know (laughs) and her love for her and i'm not sure how much we've ever seen van just like sitting alone and like understanding what goes on in her mind so here i was a little bit shocked yes i understand the sentiment but I felt the the way she conveyed it was very cold and who she was conveying it to. It just seemed not knowing your audience a little bit. Um, although maybe it does seem like it's stuck with him. It might be a little tough love. Yeah. Maybe it was the right thing to say to that person, to Travis. But sitting here in my living room, it just seemed really cold to me. Two things. One is I really like the scene and I feel like we haven't spent enough time with Van because to your point, we have we don't really have her interiority. We really see her reacting to other people. And I think that's a criticism you could make of how this turns out in the present as well. And maybe we just haven't spent enough time with this character in the past and definitely mm. not in the present, obviously, mm-hmm. where she just recently popped up a couple episodes ago. So given all that, I think that might be what you're bristling against. And I do agree. And although I thought the scene was very good, it's as if we don't really know this character well enough to understand her psychology here. Or later, to be honest. Yeah, it feels like it's just a scene in a vacuum in a way. And kind of moves the plot forward in a way to allow us to get to where Travis gets to later on. And I feel, yeah. maybe this is the beginning of that critique, I feel like there's a lot of scenes like that here in, the sh- in this episode. Yeah. Natalie and Coach Ben meet in the woods. Ben is like, what the hell is going on? He's like, just the scraps of Javi by the time he returns. Mm-hmm. He mentions to... Nat, don't worry about that. I found a cave. I think we can hole up there for the rest of the winter. Natalie says, nope, I'm staying here, but you should go. I figured out where Javi was hiding, right? I I think that you and I together could probably survive the winter. Hey, do you hear me? You don't have to stay here. You're not like the rest of these girls. Actually, I'm worse. How can you say that? I let him die in my place. It was supposed to be me. You're a good person, Coach. 
You really don't belong in this place. I can understand the decision, but her rationale is a little odd. I didn't understand the first decision of Ben being like, hey, just you and me. We're going to go over there and leave these (laughs) others behind. Again, this is a crazy situation they're in, but he is theoretically the grown up. I don't know that the foundation was laid for some respect that he has for Natalie such that he'd be like, just you and me are going to go here and survive. I mean, I know they were working together to do the map. He thinks that she is one of the more rational, I think, of the ones that are still left. The whole thing seemed a little bit off to me. I will criticize the show in general for the same reasons you just said. It's as if you have to go back to a lot of this character development back to season one, Mm -hmm. where he and her bonded a lot when he was teaching her how to hunt. And he told her he was gay. I I think he was. Yes. I think she was the first person he shared that with. Yeah. Yeah. And then she, I think he didn't tell Misty until (laughs) she was the pressure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I do think he, he told her first. They had this bond and this season, because he's been in this fugue state the whole entire time for most of these episodes, Natalie's mostly been in a way fighting for survival on the outs with Travis. She's trying to keep people from following Lottie. And now, of course, literally fighting for her life. It seems like she's always reacting to something. So we don't get time to develop these characters. And yeah, I agree. We have to go all the way back to season one to find this bond between Natalie and Ben. And that's a critique, I think, of this season in general. It really is expecting a lot, I think, of the average viewer to be able to recall that on demand. I mean, that's where I think you need to strategically place the previously on scenes. (laughs) Right. Help me out a little bit. Understandably, though, Natalie rejects this. She mentions the fact that she's not a good person. She let Javi die in her place. These are all true things. She's probably suffering Mm -hmm. from this guilt. Speaking of which, I also think about how they elide over how guilty Travis must be feeling at this point, surprisingly, now I'm really now it is bothering me a little bit now in retrospect for the fact that he's the one, and we see it on the previous previously on, he's the one who breaks things up so that Natalie could escape. Mm-hmm, he's the one mm-hmm. who sends Javi out to say, go save her, basically. Mm-hmm. So so he must feel incredibly culpable here. Mm-hmm. And obviously very torn because it's like, yes, because of that, Natalie lived, which of course he cares about her, but Javi died he should be having much more complex feelings about this. And we really don't see it here in, in, in this character, I don't think. But Natalie is feeling it, obviously, as, as I mentioned. We do see Ben in that cave momentarily. He's trying to start a fire. Not so easy to start those fires with those rocks. <laughs> Shauna, after the butchering, has brought Travis Javi's heart. He eats it like a jelly donut. This is not My how you- <laughs> God. I mean, okay, so first of all, listen, I've never butchered anything. I've never even spent a significant amount of time in a butcher shop. However, this was like, I mean, a picture perfect heart. Like I can Mm -hmm. recognize it as the heart. Is that a real thing that you can butcher something that well? Like you just pluck out the heart and like it looks like a drawing of a heart. Not to be gross about it, but that's exactly how it is. The organs are pretty much uh, on on their own. If you go to a butcher shop, you can see a cow's heart. You can actually see the heart. And it's like a heart, like a drawing, like a schematic. It's perfect. Wow. You know, with the venture. Interesting. Branches. Uh, now I can't remember the names of the uh, all the different. Uh, yeah, the ventricles and the good to know. But, and by mm-hmm. the way, <laughs> follow up on that. I've eaten a heart that were part of it, you know, like sliced up. You can have them at mm-hmm. like a Peruvian restaurant or something. And this is very tough. So the idea that he just bites a little nibble of yeah, it off okay. his, does not yeah. make any sense this at all. This <laughs> is where I was going next is not even the realistic aspect of it or not realistic, but like, just honestly, WTF. <laughs> who, 
who would do this? Why would you do this? None of <laughs> it. I, I don't understand any of what happened there. <laughs> Why would you think to present the heart to the brother? Why would Travis think what I should do is accept this and take a bite out of it? I, I don't know. There was the whole thing with the heart as a, remember when they killed the bear, when we first saw Lottie wearing the antler queen headdress. So there is something symbolic about the heart here. I'm taking a bite out of it. I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure. Blech. And he puts it into the skillet with some of the other meat. Mm-hmm. Their first serving of Javi. After they're done eating, they want to hear a new story. So they're recounting the plots of some of their favorite films, including mm-hmm. The Princess Bride, While You Were Sleeping, some others. And Vance says, how about a new story? It's about the wilderness. I would be very curious to hear this. I thought it would be setting up, you know, like kind of get some kind of psychological insight into what their interpretation of all this is, obviously. Especially after we just saw, for me, this new side of Van that is yes. like very cold yep. and calculating. So <laughs> I agree. And just as she's about to give us her theory on this power in the woods, Lottie gets up and everybody's like, oh my God, she's awake. She's awake. Very surprisingly here mentions that she was chosen originally to hear the wilderness because she was the only one who was ready for it, I guess, given her abilities or her mental- <laughs> Mental instability. <laughs> instability, whatever it happens to be. Although we do know she has some kind of visions. The car accident. The car accident vision. Thank goodness you remembered that because I didn't. <laughs> she says, I can't hear it anymore, but it has chosen. We tried to kill Natalie, but it saved Natalie's life. She's the new antler queen. And she seems like happy about this. Like here she has been so cynical about all this. And as everybody's deferring to her, she smiles. Ben, by the way, has come back to camp to find some matches and happens to witness this as well. Okay. So this is the next thing that doesn't make sense to me. Yes. Everything we've seen of her character is that she would be completely appalled and not embrace this whatsoever and say like, you all have lost your minds. I'm not your leader. We're just trying to survive here. So let's everyone get over this wilderness nonsense. Well, what I would say on the generous side of things, it is the fact that these girls were trying to kill her and now there's a reversal here. But I will make the argument that if I was in that circumstance and I was like her, cynical about all this, maybe in being a leadership role, maybe I can turn them away from, from this, their worst instincts. Maybe, but it was not indicated (laughs) that that's what's in her head. Oh, absolutely not. I agree. That's why I was kind of curious about the fact that she has that smile on her face. Kind of not only she is shocked at first by this reversal, but then she seems to be appreciative of it. It's an interesting choice to say the least. Yeah. Oh, and we hear the Echo and the Bunnyman cover for The Killing Moon. And we'll hear that original version by the end. We're going to come back to the girls in the past before the end of this recap, but let's jump to the present where... (laughs) Soda, you've been picking nits in the past. (laughs) Wait till we get to the present. (laughs) (laughs) We kick things off. Lottie is about to suck down that poisoned oolong tea (laughs) when when Shauna stops her from downing the tea and says, no, that's not what we have to do. We have to do it the old way. We have to have a hunt. We have to have the cards. And everybody starts piling on. They're all yes anding here. (laughs) (laughs) What are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this circumstance? Well, they're going to start off by playing along. She seems very excited that everybody's apparently following along. They're like, yes, yes, we got to do it the right way. We got to have a, have a hunt again. It is pretty funny that they not only commit to this whole idea, but they start making these masks. <laughs> what are the different animal masks they come up with, by the way? That might be important to, to note. I, oh, you know, I wasn't trying to identify them at all. I did notice that Van's mask was like her original mask, the one that covered her scars originally. Mm. 
but it was made out of a bear. So maybe it's a bear mask. It, maybe we'll dig into that in the future to uh, see if there's any symbolism there with the animals they chose to, to wear. Natalie wants to make sure that everybody leaves the compound and she personally goes and sees Lisa. Apparently no one left the compound by the, way, by the time we get to the end of this, <laughs> just to be clear about that. Yes. And now at this point, everybody in the show is going to the compound. We see Callie and Jeff in the car heading to the compound. And they're being tailed, of course, by Kevin and Detective Saracusa. Misty has ransacked Lottie's office. She finds her phone. And just as she grabs the phone, speaking of everybody being at the compound, it rings. And of course, Walt hears it and knows that she's there in the room. Walt has come here to help her out, as we knew at the end of last episode. Jeff and Callie, meanwhile, in the car have a pretty funny interaction here. Maybe the funniest part of it, he mentions your mom, there's something going on with your mom. You don't understand. She almost shot some guy and she says, oh, you mean she has a gun? And he's like, no, she took it from the carjacker. carjacker. <laughs> and she goes, oh, so she still has the gun. He goes, no, I have the gun. Don't worry about it, but I have it in a safe place. She immediately reaches for the glove compartment and he's like, don't open that. <laughs> she, knows, she knows exactly where it is. It's in front of her knees. <laughs> and it's important that it's there because it pays off later in the episode. As I mentioned, they've been tailed by Kevin and Saracusa, and they didn't notice. Apparently, they were like right behind them, <laughs> like right behind them. They <laughs> somehow never looked in the rearview mirror. Yeah, on that country road where there's nobody else out. They identify themselves as police and go onto the compound. This is where Kevin runs into Walt in the kitchen, singing Send in the Clowns <laughs> and making some hot cocoa. This is... <laughs> This is problematic for me, to say the least. We have this Kevin character who's been, you know, important to the show, obviously. Unceremoniously, he gets poisoned by Walter. Now, this is the same poison that Lottie was going to use, the phenobarbital. So Correct. is this just like stocked at the cabin or did he bring his own with him and it just coincidentally was the same drug? And this is also, I think, what Misty had in that syringe that she turned in earlier. How come everybody has phenobarbital? That's <laughs> my question. Yes. What, where is it coming from? Why is it so easily accessible? A lot of questions here. Many. And also the fact that he had it with him as he was making the cocoa. Was he planning to poison somebody else? Did he know the cops were there and he was waiting for them? It's possible that once they arrived on the compound, that some word got out that there were people there. So this might've all been staged, but that's like some mind, mastermind stuff going on. And if he just by chance was like, oh, I'm going to give him some cocoa and I'm just going to slip this in there. Why was he walking around with phenobarbital? Like, right. <laughs> none of this makes any sense. The logistics of it don't make sense, but much more so for me is the fact that now Walter is just a psychopath instantly, no problem at all murdering somebody. And not only that, if this is the way you're going to try to undo this situation, this is the worst way to try to cover up one murder is with another murder. It's only going to draw more, raise more questions in, in the long term, I think. But it just seems like ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Is my you know, we had speculated when they showed the previews last week that this was some sort of like misleading thing that there's not actually somebody that he killed that they need to hide the body, right? When he makes that comment, can you help me dispose of the body? We thought like, oh, that's clearly set up to be a misleading thing that, you know, is going to be about something much more innocuous. But no, it was not. Yeah. It's an actual murder. It was literal. <laughs> the biggest twist. It's an actual murder. <laughs> At this moment, we don't actually even know that he's been poisoned. Jeff shows up, sends Callie off on her own. Jeff's plan here is, I got this covered. I'm going to confess to the murder. Mm -hmm. Walter actually gives him credits for this. I think that it's a pretty romantic move. So I guess Walter is a romantic 
to the bone. Maybe going back to that Sweeney Todd <laughs> analogy, mm. murder's okay for the um, sake of romance. <laughs> <laughs> After Jeff is freaking out that now there's another dead body on their hands, Walter tries to get him in line by calling him Jeffrey. <laughs> Does anyone call you Jeffrey? <laughs> oh, my, only my mother. <laughs> and then, no, she doesn't. <laughs> such a strange piece of dialogue there. <laughs> yes. Jeff's still being MVP here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Even as the show goes flying off the rails. Absolutely. Pretty amazing here that Jeff was willing to confess to the murder to protect Shauna. Like I said, I think he has always loved her. But you got to think about Callie. I mean, not for nothing, yeah. but imagine Shauna goes to jail or he goes to jail. Shauna at home with his daughter. <laughs> Is this the best role modeling? Maybe he's like, ah, eh, she's almost off to college anyway. She can survive another year. <laughs> That's true. As long as she makes it. Yeah. You know, the case will, will drag out until, until it just goes to right, college. Right, right. <laughs> In parallel action here, we see that Thaisa and Van are making these masks. I find it very funny that they're so committed to making these masks to wear for the fake hunt, supposedly fake hunt. And once again, so in character with Thaisa, she's like, we have to lock her up. <laughs> she's just too crazy <laughs> me i'm fine but her. i'm fine totally fine we're, we're, everybody else here totally fine van's the one that starts saying okay you guys have killed a couple people <laughs> sean is a disaster you're psychopathic like can we can we deal with this and this is interesting i should say that van is you know basically playing taisa at this point maybe her choices aren't the best either <laughs> but she knows full well that these girls are not well mm-hmm Supposedly, they were going to call for an intervention for someone to come from the psychiatric hospital to come and get Lottie. And they've changed that to, we're going to go and drop her off. But of course, this is all part of Van's plan to actually have the hunt that night. So I lost the thread for a second here. Was yeah. everyone in on the idea that they were not going to actually call for help? Or were there certain people left out of that plan? At one point, Misty says, how long do we have to wait for them to come? And that's when Thaisa says, oh, we called off the hospital. We're going to drop her off. Shauna and Misty at that moment were thinking, like, how long do we have to play this stupid card game? Right. When are these people showing up? But of course, Van had said, we should go and just drop her off ourselves. And I think at that moment, Van made that decision to not to buy time or not to make this easier on Lottie, but I think she wanted to actually have the hunt. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay a limitation again that we don't really know Van well enough to see if this is in mm -hmm. her character or not. In the meantime, we see that Callie has been walking around looking for Shauna, runs into Detective Saracusa. He's about to catch her with the gun behind her back. She's cocked it already. She's ready to take a shot at him. He asks her to show his hands, but then she get, he gets a call from Kevin's phone and he runs off to see if there's something wrong. They've recorded his voice previously and they're right. playing it back over the phone to draw him out. Meanwhile, the ladies around the fire have started to draw the cards and they go around a couple of times until Shauna is the one who draws the card. And the hunt begins. Even the people who are reluctant about it, in the end, they're all chasing her through the woods. Uh, old habits die hard. <laughs> it's like a reflex Pavlov <laughs> situation. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like when a dog turns on you and you start running away. It's like, you know, just you can't do anything else. You got to chase them down. Very importantly, when Shauna pulls that queen, she says, you people are all crazy. There was nothing out there. It was just us. And Lottie says, is there a difference? Which I think is maybe an important point in the show, playing this, is it supernatural or not angle over and over again. But maybe the point is that there's no difference between the two. Yeah, maybe that's the point. But strange to have Lottie be the character that says that. True. Good point. 
although we have maybe assumed that Lottie is the one who's instigating all this, but we don't know. Like we are already a few months into their story, their backstory, and someone else is already wearing that crown. I have a feeling that over time, there may be many different people wearing that crown. I agree. You know, so it's it might be possible that she is not so central to the story after all. Sure. But what I'm saying is the whole idea of the wilderness is talking to us. The wilderness wants what it wants. The wilderness decides. And now, but maybe it's just us. I mean, that seems right. like a strange person to be voicing that. I don't necessarily disagree, but the choice right. of her being the one with that dialogue is a little rich, I feel. Before we get to the end game, Saracusa, called out by Kevin's phone call, locates his body in the car, in the trunk, where he hears the phone ringing, opens it up. Walter runs up behind him, takes his weapon, shoots it into Kevin's body, basically framing, potentially, Saracusa for the murder, unless they don't do a talk screen or whatever. <laughs> There's so many questions here that we have to spend some time mm -hmm. on this. I'm the guy who's about to give you a choice. Now, Imagine how impressed the Wiscaic police force will be when they realize their new recruit nearly lost his life uncovering his partner's involvement in a sordid police corruption scandal. Sorry, come again? It's called a narrative. Try and yes and a little here. So when the police dig in, they'll discover a wealth of bank and phone evidence connecting your partner here, not only to the murder of Adam Martin, the investigation of which he was trying to impede, but also to the recent death of a known political operative, Jessica Roberts. It's easy to see why Kevin here would stop at nothing to prevent this from coming out. You'll be a real hero to the community. Unless you'd rather all those bank and phone records pointed to you. I've taken the liberty of contacting the local authorities. Uh, until you're ready to talk to them, you might want to close that. What? How is Kevin responsible for all of this? And how are they going to frame Saracusa for it? Like, this is so yada, yada, yada. None of this makes any sense. The fact that Kevin is trying to cover up his crimes by pinning it on Shauna, and how does this have anything to do with Adam? And not only that, that... He's just going to take Walter at his word that he's such a great hacker that he can have all this evidence either on Kevin's phone or I could just put it on your phone. Yeah. There won't be any questions asked and that Saracusa will back them up. Like he could just say to the cops that show up, this is what happened. And honestly, just a cursory investigation of all of this would probably bear out. As a matter of fact, they're in a situation where these women were running around trying to murder each other. And you might say, well, but nobody saw that. It's like, Lisa saw it. Lisa heard everything. Like a cursory investigation would back up Saracusa's case in a second. And the fact that he's just like, oh, I guess you got me dead to rights because you threatened me with a hack. I guess you're right. I guess that's it. Like it's, it may, it's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. I, this one dumb plot point makes me wonder about the show in general and it's you know how healthy it, it could possibly be in the third season it's an important plot point and then in the yes. end they kind of seem to be hand waving it absolutely after having laid so much groundwork to be able to dispose of it within less than two minutes is a little yep. bit strange and alarming and also i had grown fond of kevin i did like him yeah. so sorry to see him go i think the worst part about it is doing it so unceremoniously you can imagine him surviving this yeah. and then they do the frame up and he 
can play along for a while. You know, if Natalie hadn't died, for example, because he has affection for her, he could have tried to protect her and she could have manipulated him. And this could have been part of the investigation next year. And he's being discredited by by this whole thing. That makes more sense than just unceremoniously killing him off. Like you said, after him being a pretty interesting character, and we really barely got to know him, you would think that he would develop more over time. And then on top of that is uh, this whole ridiculous, I'm a super hacker and I leave no paper trail, even though there's no such thing, basically. Anybody who's ever hacked anybody, for real. <laughs> you know, if, if you're looking for the hack, you'll find the hack. I mean, there's a paper trail, the money trail, supposedly, that they have tied up with this. He's supposed to be receiving payments, which you assume this money will come from Walt's own personal accounts. It's like, there'll be a paper trail. There's, it's just, it's, you'd have to just yada yada that hackers could do anything and it's magic <laughs> to accept mm-hmm. this for a second, for a second. And the fact that Saracusa just somehow, who's been so savvy and been a step ahead of everybody, would now suddenly just get threatened with this and be like, oh, I guess it's true. All right. Okay. I'll go along with your story. It's It makes no sense. It's really incredibly lazy plotting. And I'll probably have more to say about that, but let's uh, wrap up the episode. So like I mentioned, uh, you know, as if that's not problematic enough, you have the fact that Callie saved Shauna. Apparently, Callie's just going to keep her mouth shut about all of this. Lisa comes at them with the gun out. She's heard all this saying like, you people are all crazy and you can't do what you're doing. She doesn't just warn Lisa to turn around because Misty's coming at you or something. Natalie goes, I know what I'll do. I, she flashes back on the fact she didn't save Javi and throws herself basically in front of the syringe slash bullet from Misty and dies with the, this is all pretty ridiculous too, that this is the way she's going to die. We do have a final moment where Natalie's on that plane, a vision she's had before where she said that she wasn't supposed to survive the plane crash in the first place. This is a very final destination, by the way, that, you know, if death doesn't get you once, it'll stalk you. And it just takes 25 years, apparently, to come back. And get... <laughs> but she does die now. I mean, surprisingly, honestly, that they would get rid of maybe their one of the most recognizable stars in the show. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I don't know if there were spoilers on that that I had missed that anybody was going to die, honestly. So I was pretty shocked. Yeah, I wonder if she just didn't want to come back again for another season, because I'm sure they would have kept her on. And she's one of the selling points for the show, for sure. Interestingly, on that plane, there is this conversation between her and her younger self saying that she shouldn't be afraid. It's not evil, this thing, whatever it is. She has to let it in. It's just hungry, like we are. That's interesting, but it also feels open-ended that like we're going to see Natalie again. Maybe we do Mm -hmm. in some kind of visions that these characters have. So maybe the actress is coming back next season. But this whole idea that you have to let it in and it's just hungry like we are, it's as if we're trying to develop this supernatural power here again. But like, what is she discovering here? She's dying. (laughs) If somehow she could be resuscitated, maybe this would be like a clue for for the future. But no, she just dies. So it doesn't seem, it doesn't make any sense. And then we hear... I mean, it's crazy. You have the psychiatric hospital people are there to get Lottie and the ambulance is there to collect her body and the police are there to investigate as well. On the In the dialogue, you hear one of the EMTs saying it was a drug overdose. So they're somehow masking this as a drug overdose. They ellipses over all of this, right? Just like yada, 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 yep. all of this. Think about it. Like Lisa might have a story to tell. There's all these other people milling around. Lisa might just tell other people on the compound. If they do an actual investigation, all this will come out. There'll be lots of questions about these women showing up there and some of the strange things that happened. And like you think that if they actually question Callie and 
Jeff, about what happened right now that they weren't that they wouldn't crack, or even that Shauna won't crack if she goes into questioning again. It's just convenient plotting. There's like there's no logic to mm-hmm, or character mm-hmm. in what anybody does, or even like any kind of logical explanation. Aren't the cops going to have? I mean, I just keep going back to the fact that aren't the police that are there asking questions about the fact that so your partner that you killed in self-defense just coincidentally at the same time that this girl dies of uh, an overdose and Lottie was shot by Callie, even though that might've been self-defense, but why did you shoot her then in that circumstance? Obviously they know she got shot. The cop, they're literally taking her to a mental hospital. They're going to notice the gunshot wound. Like, (laughs) why did you get shot? Why did Callie have, you know, gunshot residue on her hands? Why did you shoot at her? These are all just coincidental things that happen all at the same time seems very, very questionable. And maybe there will be a logical investigation of this next year. But it seems that at this moment, they want us to just be like, case closed. <laughs> they mm-hmm, got away with mm-hmm. it. I'm like, they got away with it. What do you mean? This would be like, <laughs> like, this is how people get caught. Like in real life crimes, this is like when the cover up is more, in, you know, incompetent than the crime itself. And everybody gets caught. <laughs> this is what happens when everybody gets caught. <laughs> Lottie says that it's pleased with us and you'll see. So maybe that means that everybody's lives and mental problems are going to go away in the next season, or at least at the beginning of next season, I'm sure they'll all come back again. And then in the very final moments of the episode, we flash back to the past. Sean is writing into her li- diary saying, I thought it was going to be me. Why is it Natalie? <laughs> I had to butcher all those people. I'm the one that was supposed to be have to be the antler queen. But good thing she's up and writing into her diary <laughs> angrily because Someone has set the cabin on fire. And of course, the girls bust out of the cabin, have some questions about the fact that they don't use the sharp end of the axe to try to get that door open. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> Just try to smash it with the handle. I'm like, well, you know, there's a sharp part on that too. That's funny. Or the windows, people. The windows are much weaker than doors, but they all make it out alive. Of course, just as they walk out the door, as you would expect, the whole thing goes up in a like instantaneously, like Tinder. Even though, you know, a log cabin doesn't burn down that quickly, especially when it's probably like wet from snow, etc. Regardless, the whole thing collapses, which means that they have no home next season. And we hear Echo and a Bunnyman again on the lyrics on the song, interestingly, here at the end. The killing time, unwillingly mine, fate up against your will, he will wait until you give yourself to him. So, of course, that speaks to this whole him, the woods, this power, whatever. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm, they can fight it as long as they want. They have to eventually surrender to him. So, of course, that's what the lyrics are talking about. But I cannot get past some of the decisions here in the plotting and how this leaves things. Obviously, if we want to speculate on next season, Natalie knows that Ben is out in the cave. He There's a whole reason, I think, that he comes back and specifically tells her there's a place in the caves where Javi was. They'll be looking for this. She should know exactly where to look. But what I was thinking about is this whole entire season, how they were seeding the fact that they were hearing this dripping and that there might be a cave or something under this cabin. So maybe the cabin burning down is what reveals this entrance to this cave system. And maybe they don't need to kill Ben to find a safe place. There might be a cave right here they can live in. Wait, I'm confused. You think there's a different cave besides the cave that Ben is in? I think there's a whole cave system, by the way. That's my opinion. Because we've seen in multiple spots... Natalie saw that spot under that tree, which of course is where we see Ben finds also that entrance. But there's the time when uh, Thaisa found the other symbol 
And then they called out the fact that like, why is, uh, you know, why is the ground wet here? So I have a feeling that this is a cave system. I mean, I'm writing all this in my head, but I think that it's probably like mining. There's like this whole thing where there's some kind of metal. I think that's what threw off the plane in the first place. I think that's probably why they can't find the plane. So there was probably some kind of mining around here. I have a feeling that there's a whole mining, like a whole tunnel system under the ground. And also we've been hearing that there is the stripping sound all, you know, repeatedly throughout the course of this season. And of course, she couldn't be hearing the dripping sound from the cave where Ben is, which is like, you know, a, whatever, half a mile away from this location. There might be an entrance to the cave right here where the cabin is, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you think about the symbols being laid out with the cabin in the center, the cabin might be, you know, one of the entrances to this. Um, and each one of those symbols might re- represent a different entrance way as well. So I think it's a cave system is my guess. I think there's probably people living down there or at least a person living down there. This is all my speculation. I don't think it's in the text. Yeah, I understand. Show. It's actually better if they do it that way because the idea that Ben is in the only cave supposedly, Natalie, unless she's a total idiot, should know where that entrance is considering she's the first one to have identified it. So, you know, she should be like, Ben burned this down. <laughs> we got to go get Ben. And by the way, he told me he's hey, holed up in this cave. I think I know where it is. <laughs> That'll be like episode one of next season. <laughs> but uh, that could be where it goes. But I have a feeling that's not going to be the case. So that brings me up to the question, Sona, will you watch this next next year? Well, of course, it depends if we're covering it on the podcast. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um if we if we are not covering on a podcast, would you of your own volition watch it? I think I might. I actually remember that at the end of last year, I felt, and I think I said this um, on the podcast, I could watch another season. I don't know that I will watch another season. I feel more inclined to watch another season now than I did last year. I still think there was a lot of good about this season even though there was a lot of weird stuff in this last episode. I am interested to see what happens. I think, at least for the time being, they seem to be taking their foot off the accelerator of the supernatural stuff and yeah. and the cannibalism stuff in that, like, yes, there is cannibalism. They were painting it in the first season. like It had, like, almost an eyes wide shut feel to it, you know? <laughs> like a... Yeah. Very like culty, like we put on these costumes and then we ceremoniously decide who's going to be eaten next. And then like we have kind of like that Roman Bacchanal type scene, like, and it's all still there. I don't think they've completely withdrawn from it, but it's not as prominent in the storyline as I think they led people to believe it would be. I feel like last year, it almost seemed like they were going to create this super special society of people that eat other people. And <laughs> right. so I'm more comfortable with the cannibalism this season is what I'm saying is the bottom line. <laughs> it actually is more attractive to me now than it was last year. What do you think? I probably wouldn't watch it. And it's not just because really? I, yeah. <laughs> and it's probably not just because <laughs> I'll say a couple of things that could be interesting. I think that to your point, they've developed these characters in some interesting ways. And I did like, I forgot to bring it up in the plot recap, but I like how they leave things where Callie seems to have this thing in her, whether this is, you know, something that's unlocked and we're just talking about something within these young women that's being unlocked by this experience, whether it is a supernatural force, which once again is maybe interesting, the most interesting aspect of the show that she sees in Callie that same dangerous thing. Shauna's is now worried. The stakes have maybe changed that Shauna has to now not only be thinking about her own protection, but Callie's and you know her falling into the same traps. 
That's all really interesting. So the way the show keeps playing with this idea of this thing being like a virus that passes among these people and comes back is that metaphor of this trauma they had and now how she's brought her daughter in on it. We explicitly say that at one point. Jeff goes, how could you have brought her in on this? Now, of course, she's incredibly tightly coupled to it. And what's next? Could she be prone to murder or something? And I think Sean is worried about that at this moment. Mm-hmm. I think that aspect of it is really, really interesting, mm-hmm. but then we mm-hmm. don't need all this other stuff. And I feel like the show doesn't know how to deal with this other stuff. The way that they create stakes of some kind, like is Shauna going to go to jail? And then they yada, yada it away yeah. over and over again. Basically this specific episode, I've forgiven it for doing that earlier because I thought there would be some kind of more solid payoff. And I feel one- I have little confidence in this moment that they know where this is going. Well, so let me interject for a second. I had heard that this is like meant to be a four season show or five season show or something like that. Five max, they say. Yeah, yeah. When I hear something like that, I assume that these storylines have been thought out. I think it is concerning when you're led to believe that there is a plan for this story, these stories to continue and resolve themselves and new stories to start over the course of years to have yes. something like what happened in this episode is a little right. kind of, well, you're going to just keep doing this every now and then to, exactly. <laughs> to resolve yes. the right. stories because that doesn't really count, you know? <laughs> right. And, and that's exactly my concern, exactly what you're describing. I don't know if given this season, that if this is a five-year plot line, which is, of course, they said they said a max of five years. They supposedly won't let, you know, Showtime, of course, will keep something on for 10 years until it's not only a dead horse, it's like the skeleton of a horse with a few leather straps hanging off of it. Mm-hmm. And that's the other reason I'm kind of skeptical of, you know, there's the whole Showtime of it, which is my own bias in general. To your point, if this is a five-year trajectory, and of course, they never know from year to year whether the show's going to get canceled, depends on the ratings, of course. My concern here is, what have they shown us of the mythology of the backstory. There's probably another person out there. It's probably how Javi survived. They've given us hardly anything there. They've introduced that there is a cave system. That's it. That's all we know about the backstory of the past, right? They're still in the winter. We're only a few months into this. It's going to be a year and a half. They're going to have a whole spring and summer where theoretically they wouldn't have to hunt each other, but maybe they will just for fun. Who knows, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're going to have another winter where uh, that's about the time they get rescued, right? Questionable that at the pacing of how they're doling that information out from the past. In the present, they're going to create these stakes like, oh my God, Shauna's going to get caught for murder. Like, think about it. Last season, they're like, Shauna is a murderer. Like, holy cow, can you believe that? Now Misty's a murderer too. And no one has investigated the fact that that woman died. We saw her car crash. And as far as we know, that murder is not even being investigated, right? Even though her car was parked in front of Misty's house for like a month, right? Correct. So, uh, you know, no one's looking at the traffic cameras <laughs> saying like, okay, here's the last intersection and here's the previous intersection. And uh, wait a second. Okay, here's someone's ring camera. Okay, that car's been there for three weeks. And now right. she's walking out. <laughs> right. She's walking out and then she's dead right away. Who lives in that house? Hmm. No investigation. Mm-hmm, of course. Mm-hmm. But that's season one that they already did that stupid thing. They didn't follow up on it at all in season two. And now here we are again with the same thing where it's just like, oh, Sean is going to get caught. Uh, No. And we really don't know how she's not going to get caught. So don't worry about it. My concern with season three and why I probably wouldn't watch it. I feel like that's what's going to happen. Like in the same way that we're like, wow, at the end of season one, Misty has killed this woman. And, you know, all fingers point at Misty. 
we're never going to address it at all. And it's going to be the same thing here. I feel that it's going to be like, oh, can you believe this? Sean almost got caught. And you're like, how is she going to get out of this one? If Sarah Kusa keeps investigating on his own, none of that's going to matter in season three. And I'm like, really? Okay. I, I don't know if I'm in, in for that. I guess I'm just really curious on a more macro level to see how they get rescued and what happens when they get rescued. Yeah. And I am really interested in that. So like overarching, I would like to watch it to see how that develops. But I you know, definitely understand your points and I'm not arguing with that whatsoever. When you think about how they have done too much here at the end, Shauna, even if they didn't kill Kevin, which is once again, covering up a crime with a bigger crime, if they did not kill Kevin, Shauna's not dead to rights to have killed Adam in the Adam. first place. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there are other suspects. <laughs> and you could even make Kevin a suspect with this with this evidence that they've planted. And he'll be like, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. And it could just be a plausible theory of the case. Sure. No one's going to be like, oh, this woman that had 400 uh, text messages with him, she's definitely not involved with this at all. <laughs> and right. they went to high school together, by the way, right? They were friends for decades. So no one's going to ever look at Shauna again. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. It is not a good cover up. It's just ridiculous. It's it, Once again, they're doing way too much in that regard. And unnecessarily, right? There's no reason to mm -hmm. to do that. Like there, you could get out of this situation with far, far less. One more question I have about what happened in the past. Did Ben burn down the cabin, do you think? I was waiting um, to discuss that with you too. I think we are definitely led to believe that. I think that, um, you know, he had thought Natalie was the only one worth saving and then maybe right. seeing what he saw through the window was kind of maybe thinking, and now I'm just like filling in blanks, you know, but maybe thinking <laughs> right. that he is saving them from themselves in that way, like a mercy killing almost to yeah. <laughs> um, just end it for everyone. So they don't like start, you know, picking each other off one by one. What do you think? I think they definitely want us to believe that it's him, but I have a feeling that that's going to be another shoot a drop next season that they would be like, what it's are you talking about? I didn't do that. <laughs> no, I don't think it was the wilderness. Someone obviously no. barricaded the door and everything. Uh, but I, I would even criticize that. I think they're trying to set up Ben as being maybe this guy who tried to kill them because of Natalie's betrayal or whatever. I, I still feel that there's probably somebody and probably more than one person out there probably living in the caves. I'm pretty certain of that, right? You have Javi was living down there and you see all those bones. It could be Javi down there by himself. He said, she told me not to come back. Some people have speculated that was actually... Taisa's other persona, but that seems sketchy because he has like no interaction with Taisa when she's in the cabin, not freaked out by seeing her there, not buddying up to her thinking that, oh, she's in on this wink, wink. Hey, I know it was you, right? There's just this reference to somebody, this woman who was out there. I have a feeling it's some other that is living in this cave system. And you look at all those bones too. It's like, who's cooking these birds for him? And I just have a feeling like it's just somebody living down there eating. Those bones weren't all from the past few weeks. I think those bones had been there for a while. And mm -hmm. uh, something's li someone's living down there eating, you know, uh, making a fire and, and eating whatever they can scrounge up. Anyway, mm -hmm. so I just think that there's other people down there, probably more than one person. And um, that's yet to come. And maybe they're the ones who burned down the cabin trying to kill the girls. And they're trying to make it look like it's Ben. We see him with the matches, obviously. Someone barricaded the door so it wasn't just an accident. But I think that's kind of sloppy. 
plotting too, because you could imagine if they just wanted to burn the place down and make the girls in the situation where they're like now in the woods without a cabin, without any safety, and they have to come up with a way to survive the rest of the winter, they could have just had like a lantern fall over and catch fire. Right? Like they, they didn't have to have this whole conspiracy theory, right? So True. I really worry based on this specific episode where they're going with this show. It's really, I don't have a lot of confidence watching this, that there's a strong plan in place. Plan, yeah. I get that. I mean, maybe it just comes out to the fact that it's not the story I want to see. Like I mentioned, going all the way back to, I think, episode one or episode two, I had this like weight off my chest in watching this show when you see that flash of them rescued and back. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I would love to see these girls back home. And you can imagine Misty being like, we're still friends, right? And these girls being like, I never want to think about that time in my life again. And all Mm -hmm. the stress of trying to integrate their friends are graduating from high school, going off to college. That must have been such a fascinating time in their lives. I'm so interested in that story. Right. And I feel like we're not going to see that story. Right. We've spent like two months with them in the past five seasons of this. We're going to get to when they get rescued and that's it. And I'm like, "I, I don't really care. I don't care about almost anything that's happening at this moment in the show. And that's that's not a yeah. good place for me to be, basically. So okay, I take that back. The one thing I am interested in is the Callie Shauna relationship. I think that is really interesting thing that could be explored next season. And maybe that will be in, will be a entry point to some of those relationships when they were younger. But that's about it. Like uh, everything else just didn't work for me. I mean, I think overall in this season, there's been a real redemption of both Callie and Jeff, right? Who yeah, absolutely. I think were both either unlikable or annoying or whatever in the first season here. I think they've been really much better developed into complex, actual individuals that have their own lives and wants and needs. Um, so, and I, I found myself thinking that in this last episode, looking at Callie, thinking like, you know, I actually think in this, ep- this season, this has been a really great depiction of her and her life as a teenage girl in this circumstance. Um, so yeah, I definitely am way more interested in her character than I was previously. And the marriage itself, right? Cause like you said, Jeff is such a much more interesting and entertaining mm-hmm, character. Mm-hmm. This season, the idea of the three of them dealing with maybe Callie going off the rails <laughs> and uh, maybe if Saracusa stays around, he's investigating behind the scenes, trying to exonerate himself and continue the investigation of what he knows is a much, much bigger conspiracy now because he's been drawn into it. All of that could be interesting, especially if it's primarily focused on Shauna and uh, Callie and, and Jeff. The whole backstory of what's happening in the woods, they have not developed that enough now to make it interesting to me. Yeah. And I just worry about introducing huge plot points like murders and things and just like kind of like, phew, they got away with it. I'm like, what? How? how? Yes. <laughs> you got to give me a how. You got to give me a how. You got to yeah. set something big up like that. You got to explain it. You can't just say, and now they're fine. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Okay. So that's our opinions of the show. Uh, we will see what happens uh, when it comes back next year. It is definitely coming back for a third season. Obviously, they better come back for a third season after this finale. <laughs> and uh, But stay tuned, everybody. We will, of course, be covering the finale of Succession, the season series. I'm sorry, series finale of Succession. Wow. And the it's series, finally here. Yes. And the series finale of Barry, which I'll be covering next week as well. And my opinions of this terrible, terrible final season of 
Ted Lasso, which I will be <laughs> covering later in the week. Yes, well, so. I've been hearing that. Yeah. Ooh, wow. Ooh, you, I can't even tell you, <laughs> but <laughs> I'll, I'll bite my tongue and see if they can salvage it somehow in the finale, but, but unlikely. <laughs>